Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Wesco. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 40th episode of 2023. But before we kick off, I'd like to thank Wesco, the platinum sponsor of Fiber Breakfast, and our gold sponsor, Network Connects. You know, it was a busy time in Washington over the weekend. After the Senate passed a 45-day stopgap funding bill on Saturday night, they went ahead and voted to reconfirm both Commissioner Stark and Commissioner's Carr for another term at the FCC, among the other confirmations. You know, the FCC are five-year terms. So the good news is we now have a full slate of five FCC commissioners, and they're all confirmed. But the bad news is with three Democratic commissioners in place, the FCC Chairwoman Rosenworcel has reopened Pandora's box, announcing the FCC will consider initiating an open internet ruling, a rulemaking at its meeting on October 19th. This proposal would reclassify broadband as a Title II service, subjecting it to a variety of common carrier regulations including ex post oversight of rates. Uh, FCC is definitely going to be reviewing Chairman Rosenwelser's, I can't even say that today. It's been a 30 hour flight, so sorry about that. Proposal that closely, and uh, we'll be reviewing that proposal closely and working with all the FCC commissioners to ensure the FCC first does no harm. You know, our next and final regional Fiber Connect workshop for 2023 will be in Minneapolis on October 24th. The registration for this event has been the strongest of all our regional events so far this year. So you're not going to want to miss that. So please register today because it definitely is going to sell out. Well, I said I just got back from South Africa last night. I will be on a 5 a.m. flight to Mexico on Monday morning for our Latin America Fiber Connect event in Mexico City. This is our second of two Latin America Fiber Connect events, with the first being in San Diego, uh, San Diego, Chile, back in June. That was a great event, and we're expecting about uh, seven to eight hundred delegates, and it should be another fantastic Latin America Fiber event. So that's going to be. I'm looking forward to that. But that brings us today's Fiber for Breakfast session with Brian Dar with Ukla, who's going to discuss crowdsource data and bead state challenge process. You know, last week on Fiber Breakfast, we had the pleasure of hearing from our good friend, Quinn Jordan of the Mississippi Broadband Association, who discussed Mississippi Broadband Association's Connect and Literacy Fund. You know, nearly 19% of Mississippians live in poverty and almost 41%, that's 41% don't have access to PCs or tablets. So making the digital, you know, closing the digital divide is an especially significant challenge in Mississippi. And Quinn and the Mississippi Broadband Association have launched a Connect and Literacy Fund to help raise the quality of life for the residents of everyone in the state. You know, this is a great initiative, and I hope to see more efforts like this across the country. Now, today, 
for Fiber Breakfast. Our guest is Brian Dar with Ookla, who's going to discuss crowdsourced data and the Bead State Challenge process. Brian Dar is the Vice President of Government Affairs at Ookla, spearheading the company's program for federal, state, and local government. He also leads Ookla's advocacy efforts with lawmakers and policy organizations, promoting the value of crowdsourced intelligence to help with better data-driven decisions. Brian has spent most of his professional life in the wireless industry, beginning his career as a cellular in cellular as a sales rep for Cellular One of Memphis in 1985. After discovering his customers were having difficulty traveling with their phones, he founded Mosaic in 1988, originally branded American Roamer, and began developing consumer roaming guides. Soon, Mosaic was researching and designing mobile operators' coverage maps, enabling them to market the reach of their mobile networks. In June 2018, Mosaic was acquired by Ookla. Brian has served on many industry committees during his career, and he currently serves on CTIA's Smart City Steering Committee and the Wireless His History Foundation's Board of Directors. So welcome, Brian. And for audience, please type in your questions to go, and we'll work them in the Q&A at the end. So with that, I will turn it over to Brian. Thank you very much, Gary. Um, really appreciate the opportunity to talk to your members this morning. Um, as you were reading my bio there, I'm realizing just how uh, updated uh, I am within this industry, uh, um, having hearing someone else read it out loud. Um, but I, I'm uh, very much appreciative of the opportunity to talk to everybody today about you know what's going on on the on the beach state challenge process uh, you mentioned Mississippi they're one of many states that we're working with right now that are utilizing our data to better understand you know what people are actually experiencing out there and what areas that they might need to target um, that uh, potentially might not agree with uh, the FCC's national map um, uh, Trish if you wouldn't mind jumping to the next slide here I'm uh, going to show you a little bit of um, this, this is a slide I actually created for a, uh, the West Virginia Broadband Conference in Charleston earlier this year. Uh, this is just straight out of our uh, portal, our speed test intelligence portal. And it's pretty astonishing, uh, the, as they have already been for a number of years in West Virginia, uh, providing awards for ISPs to go build out uh, improved networks, particularly fiber networks, you know, throughout the state. You can see here just in two years using ARPA funds and previous uh, state funds uh, and, and other federal programs, just a few of the areas that have been improved. You know, in two years, we've seen just significant jumps in throughput, improvements in latency, uh, and so forth. Uh, and, and this is just a view you know, of, across the state of looking at, at half years uh, from, from the first half of 2023 going back to the first half of 2021, the kinds of jumps that we've seen in download speeds and upload speeds and most across you know, many of the operators there, not all. And it, it does clearly show you, you know, who, is, who has been making improvements in the state. Uh, and, and Frontier here has had the best improvement on, uh, on the latency uh, as we want to see all of those uh, those trending downward on the latency side. Uh, the next slide is going to uh, show you a little bit about uh, what we're here to talk about today, which is the bead model challenge process uh, and how states are contending with this. The, the NTIA has 
has put together this program and there's there's modules in there that can be can, that are already pre-approved and can be selected basically they can they can just say if it's dsl, DSL. we're going to ignore it <laughs> um, they also have the ability to modify the maps based upon speed tests uh, and, and the next piece here uh, it points out though that states also have the ability to not use just the modules that are provided but they also have the ability to develop their own challenge process and some of them are doing that west virginia uh, it, on the next piece here is actually going uh, to has turned in their initial proposal there's a volume one and a volume two we're not going to go into all the details of that right now but basically how are you going to um, walk through your state challenge process and give the eligible entities there the opportunity to agree or disagree uh, with the conclusions that the state have, has reached on, on eligibility, uh, which is certainly directed by the FCC map, but they, they have the ability to go make changes to that in areas where they disagree with it. The next slide is, uh, is again from West Virginia. Uh, this was actually a, directly out of their mapping system that shows the UCLA speed tests plotted on the map um, uh, and aggregated by the hexagons. The BSLs are in the blue dots and they're looking both at the hexagons and at the census blocks. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that in a minute and how different they are. Uh, but looking at both of these as the FCC is using hexagons to visualize the national broadband map, yet all this important demographic data uh, number of households, uh, economic factors, um, ethnic backgrounds, you know, are all going to be collected at this census block level. Uh, so extraordinarily important to be able to correlate all of this information. You know, as really as we're as we're working with states, we're asking, you know, what is in your toolbox? The one thing that NTIA NTIA has made it very clear that they're going to be flexible with how states want to approach these issues. But where they are not going to be flexible, clearly, is that once they have their plan in place, they've gone through that public notification process. Once they've turned it in and it's finalized, you can't add any more tools to your toolbox. And so, Trish, if you would you know, push the button there, what UCLA brings to the table is the ability to measure and monitor your broadband connectivity and also balance this funding distribution to meet the various digital equity goals that these different states have. Um, so the, the next piece of this slide then is really just shows what crowdsource actually does provide. Um, a lot of states are walking through, are setting up their own speed test um, on their websites uh, and they are doing so sometimes with, with uh, our platform, sometimes with a different platform. Uh, but they're collecting this information along with survey. So they want to match a speed test with a survey. And that actually fits that one of those pre-approved modules. But CrowdSource is going to provide just these ongoing fresh data points. It is a third-party validation. And the other thing is that it's extraordinarily difficult to get the public really engaged. And so as important as it is to collect these speed tests along with a survey, CrowdSource data is going to provide, depending upon the state, and level of engagement of the public there, somewhere around 100 times as many data points uh, as, as typically collected uh, in one of these you know, statewide or even local um, attempts to pull this data in. Is We're going to talk a little bit about how we're going to make this easier for everybody. 
we have this enormous amount of data, and one of the things that we've been hearing from people for frankly for the last several years, but particularly since we expanded out of the immediate telecom space, a lot of these people involved in this aren't very familiar with telecom. Um, if you, uh, most telecom companies that have gotten our data in the past have known exactly what to do with it, but it also can be a heavy lift even for them because we've got millions and millions of points and each of those points has got dozens of, of fields associated with it. And so we launched our broadband performance data set well over a year ago that simplifies our data. And it was well received by NTIA and, and many of our telecom clients and certainly by our state clients, but it was still a pretty heavy lift. And the bigger the state, the more data there is, it's gotta be consumed. We're getting ready to roll this out as ready to use Esri layers. People who have an Esri platform are going to be able to just license our data and roll it directly in, and it'll all be pre-formed. So the next slide is actually gonna show you how we're um, uh, a view of these layers, one of these layers nationally. So these are the speed tests that have been captured um, you know, across the entire country for a one-year period and then aggregated by census blocks. We're looking at the median download speed. And commonly in the past, people have looked at those average speeds and those median speeds. But we have, we have approached this differently when it comes to this particular use case. The question is not, what, not so much what people are experiencing, but what can actually be delivered to a serviceable location. And so we're actually looking at the fastest tests. And so we're gonna zoom in on this area in Kentucky that's shown in the box on the map. And so the next slide is actually gonna show both a hexagon view uh, over here on the left and by, by hex eight, and then the census block view on the right. So as you, as you aggregate up to these census blocks, you're gonna see an ex, you know, the map really start to fill in. There's a lot of space out there where there are no people. And not everybody, of course, takes a speed test as much as we might want them to, and as much as the state may want them to take a test. But this is going to, this indicates pretty clearly as we're looking at the 80th percentile. So we're really looking at just the best tests, what's actually going on out there. And you can start to see even these, some of these areas in Western Kentucky, excuse me, Eastern Kentucky, very mountainous, typically rather poor uh, economically you know, the kind of improvements that are being made. But you can also see the patches here in, in yellow and particularly in red, where we've, we've got a lot of work yet to do, where the industry and the state, uh, as they have these funds become available and start funding these projects, uh, are gonna see that. But there are projects already being funded. Let's keep that in mind. You've had ARPA funds and you've had other programs in the past. And the next slide is actually, I think, gonna be particularly interesting to the folks in the fiber community because what we're looking at here is uh, a snapshot on the left. I've just gotten a snapshot out of the FCC's national broadband map and I zoomed in and chose a location and the reading that it provided back for just a random location in West Liberty, Kentucky, and then another, will, another one in Sawyersville, Kentucky. You're looking at median latency and the dark green tells you that Folks in this area are experiencing median latency of less than five milliseconds, as opposed to the areas around that where you see typical cable providers, DSL providers, um, or, or satellite providers, whatever the case may be, non-fiber 
providers, you're not seeing that kind of extraordinarily extraordinary improvement in latency. So these were just a couple of examples that I pulled out of here. I didn't have room to put everything on the slide and, and we didn't have that much time today, but you could go through and pick through these areas and you can see where these carriers have, have rolled out fiber to their uh, customers. Just a, a couple more slides that I wanna show um, here and, and we're gonna advance through these uh, this is an area in uh, Colorado, and a couple of these slides you may have seen if you've seen uh, my presentations on others, but I'm building up to a final slide to make a point here. So, Chris, if you'll click on that, we're going to zoom in here down to Durango, and uh, between Durango and Durango West. These are speed tests that have been captured out in an area between two dense areas where, you, where fiber is affordable to deploy, but we've got speed tests showing truly poor service in an area between these two denser, more densely populated areas. The next slide then is gonna overlay, um, we're gonna see the BSLs uh, that are in the, in the FCC map. All the green dots indicate where there is a broadband serviceable location. The next slide, we're now gonna overlay where the FCC claims there is broadband, uh, or, or someone, I should say, someone has claimed they're offering broadband and reported that to the FCC, which is really, of course, what that map represents. Uh, the, the shading just simply represents how many providers there are in the area, but if there's a hexagon there, at least one of them is claiming to offer broadband. The next slide then is gonna overlay the speed tests that we see, and then we actually have a cluster view on the next slide that indicates how many speed tests are actually being captured in that area. Clearly, this area is not being served, but someone's claiming to provide broadband service here. Yet, there's only a handful of tests that are somewhere between 25 and 100 down, and the vast majority of tests are clearly below 25 megabits per second down. As we now roll out, and so who's making these claims? Uh, the next slide was, was, was actually wireless service providers rolled over the area, uh, and we've got what, what it indicated was the wireless providers also don't provide, have very strong signal strength across this same area. So that not only do we have poor terrestrial connectivity here through DSL services, but even the mobile providers are struggling to provide service within those areas. Yet we have actually multiple players claiming to provide better than 25.3. No, super interesting. So, um... Trace, cruise to slide, I guess it's about seven um, on the speed test slides. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of horrified, <laughs> um, you know, just looking at West Virginia. It, it, I was like horrified because, you know, while, yeah, it looks great that it um, looks like Infinity had some decent download speed. I mean, the upload speed is horrific. I mean, 20, 20 meg? Or, I mean, that's unbelievable. Uh, and, and so that's yeah. gonna meet the statute. And then when you look at the latency, I mean, if you look at overall nationally during the pandemic, uh, an average network was getting about 20 milliseconds of latency. And 20 milliseconds isn't even on the chart for this in West Virginia. I mean, it's, no, it's, it's crazy, not. right? Now, now let's, let's keep in mind that 
you know, these are median numbers. And so you've got large parts of the state that have not been upgraded to more modern networks. And they're going to have a drag on these numbers. And it's one of the reasons why we've taken the approach of looking at the best tests and looking at a very granular area to better understand what ISPs are actually capable of delivering. You do have people that take tests under a variety of different circumstances, right? And, and that's one of the criticisms of crowdsourcing that we've worked hard to just meet, met, meet head on here. You do have people that'll take tests when they're experienced, when they're having a bad experience on the internet. Well, sometimes it's, it is the ISP that's having temporary congestion issues, uh, temporary equipment problems, but sometimes it's not the ISP at all. Sometimes they get a brilliant speed test and they discover that it's actually Netflix that's down, AWS having a big outage yeah. um, or some other website that's having a problem. And they, they run a speed test as a diagnostic tool. And very often it actually tells them that their ISP is doing fine, that, that there's no problem here. But you're gonna have people that take tests. Uh, a lot of these tests are captured on Wi-Fi. Uh, Wi-Fi routers can generally capture you know, excellent speeds needed to meet these thresholds that are built into the IIJA and, and the, uh, the broadband rules of 25.3 and 120. Any modern Wi-Fi router can capture that, but many water, modern Wi-Fi wi routers, like here in my own house, I get 800 millis, I get 800 megabits down uh, on my router pretty typically, but on my Wi-Fi system, I typically it taps out close to 300. So we've we've got to take that into consideration as we look at these tests. And what we're focused on here with with this particular use case that we're driving is can an area deliver speeds above these specific thresholds that make them eligible? Measuring for gig speed, and we can, by the way, our server network can measure up to 10 gigs, but you do have to have the right kind of solid connection in order to be able to capture that. But the, the tests that we see coming back from mobile devices and so forth are commonly on Wi-Fi routers, we have a way to actually filter those to make sure that it's a good Wi-Fi connection because that can be a factor as well. Um, and um, But yes, what you're seeing here statewide in West Virginia is improving, <laughs> but a long way from where we need to be. So just to, to make sure I heard what you said. So when you're doing OOKLA speed test, you're measuring from where to where? We're measuring from the device to a speed test router and back. And so that can okay, take so place. Your device, so your computer, your phone. And so, cause that's, you know, when I, I, I have AT&T fiber here. So I have a gigabit, a gigabit symmetric. And I was getting like five meg upstream and I'm like, what is going on? So I, I did a speed test and, you know, it told me and I'm getting, um, you know, like a hundred by five. And then I went to AT&T and they were able to measure to my ONT and I was getting, you know, 900 and some odd gigs or meg symmetric. So I, I, I had to go and update my router and then I put in a Wi-Fi 6 mesh network and, you know, and I was able to get that fixed up. But if someone doesn't have a good in-home access points and, um, you know, the latest uh, mesh network, they're going to really, they're going to have a hard time you know, really determine what their speed is, right? Yeah, and I, I think that's fair, and, I, and, and this works both ways. This can be both on the consumer as the problem, or it could be that providers have not upgraded the equipment that they're, they're leasing or renting 
to the uh, to their to their end user and putting fiber to the home uh, is only part of the solution. You do have to have you know better connectivity inside the home as well. Um, yeah. And and our capabilities here at Speed Test uh, can provide we our, our data actually captures the what what type of device like what type of Wi-Fi router model number um, and even operating system software uh, that we see coming back from the device. So there's a lot of data that can be read into what we're capturing to understand where where the problem is in many cases not always but in many cases well all right so let's get into this you know you know nti so the state broadband offices have to december 27th to turn in their proposals to nti so how is this going so far it very much depends upon the state there are some states like west virginia uh, south carolina colorado that have had a broadband office for a long long time um, and they're staffed up. Um, they've they've got people that have got a lot of experience. Other offices didn't get funding from their states uh, until fairly recently, and some of them are still getting by on just literally a, a staff of two or three. So um, many of those folks, of course, have gone to outside consultants to help them get up and running. Uh, and I think it's going to be quite a variety uh, of plans that we see turned in, uh, and and how well these are ultimately executed. Um, but the more data that they have, the better decisions I think they can make that certainly, uh, and, and that includes not just our data, but other any data that you can get from any other source and understanding how that data should be used and not used. We don't want our data misused and it's part of our educational process as we work with these states to make sure that they understand how our data should be looked at and, and, and which tests should be filtered out, frankly because it's not a fair representation of what the ISP can provide. Hey, Trish, go to slide 13 that says uh, 80th percentile download speeds in Eastern Kentucky. But anyway, so that one, uh, I mean, it just, to me, highlights how bad the CAF, you know, the issues of the CAF program, the FCC Connect America and other things where they're using, um, keep going to, it should be slide 13, it should be the Eastern Kentucky, you'll see, two blocks with a bunch of dots there in it. There it goes. Yeah, so this one you look at, so the census block, right, when you have a home served in a census block, it counts the whole census block. And so you get something that looks like on the right where everything looks, oh, it's all great because you serve one home in a census block. And these census blocks can be gigantic, you know, especially when you get to the Midwest. And then when you go to Hex, um, not looking so great. So. What is the big difference between like CostQuest and FCC's new data mapping versus using the speed test, you know, using the UCLA data? They're, they're both important. Of course, CostQuest initially was, um, uh, their, their first task was collecting all of the broadband serviceable locations and getting them mapped. But certainly as the, um, as the uh, providers are reporting their information to the FCC, then that's getting updated every six months as well. But this is self-reported data. And some of these folks are claiming areas where um, the technology itself might be somewhat problematic uh, in, in areas where you've got difficult topography uh, or, or vegetation, frankly, in the case of, of some of the wireless services that are out there. And it, look, I'm, I, I grew up in the wireless industry. I'm a big fan of wireless and mobile connectivity. Um, it's fire and fiber is critical to expanding mobile connectivity as well. You you know, there, the old saying there is no wireless without wires is certainly true here. Nobody's going to put a 5G cell site 
where they don't have good access to fiber connectivity for that site. So all of this build out for fixed networks can also help the mobile networks too. And it's one of the things that we're trying to drive home with states. At the same time, you do have this issue of, of needing to, as granular a data as possible and where you have providers that are claiming levels of technology that are either too old, perhaps in the case of DSL, uh, or, or just don't have the capacity, even if you could theoretically meet certain speed points, can you actually serve everybody in the area that you have claimed, right? That's, so that, that's another one of the issues here that has to be contended with. Um, and the states have quite a bit of leeway in terms of what technologies ultimately they want to be able to accept based upon the number of people that it has to serve there. Um, and, and looking at all of these demographics and looking at the experiences that people are having as these networks are getting rolled out, uh, and all of our data does actually capture the ISP as well. It's not just a, a you know down, up latency metrics. We do know who the ISP is. Um, and so they can see that within the data. And they know on these slower speeds that they can go back and hold those ISPs uh, or at least question them and say, why, why aren't you, why aren't people experiencing the kind of speeds that you are advertising in these areas? So Brian, one of our audience question is, and I hope you can answer this, um, what's the difference in crowdsourcing for the BEAD program, NTIA, versus crowdsourcing for an enhanced ACAM offers with the FCC? Can that work? Well, it, it, in many ways, it's it's simply a matter of you know what the specific rules are. Um, you know, the, the crowdsourcing approach uh, is we, we have really, according to all of these all of these plans, um, we really have tried to be as consistent as possible as how our data should be looked at within that particular use case. And I think it is extraordinarily important that people be looking at the best tests that are coming back from an area, not looking at those average or medium speeds. That is, it's very important to look at those when you're trying to understand how people are experiencing networks in one area versus another area. But you really do have to be looking at the highest level of tests to understand what ISPs are capable of delivering to a given area. And, and in that respect, I don't think it's significantly well, Brian, I could sit here and listen, you know, listen to you all day because I love that your data and I love everything that you guys are doing at UCLA. And I really appreciate how close to your work with NTIA. You know, I, I can't tell you how happy I am with what NTIA has been doing on this program. And not that they always do what I want to do, um, but they do listen and they are very approachable. And so I'm glad that they're able to have great partners like you to help move this process forward. And thanks for your work with the states. Our um, data has been very, very involved in the, their NBAM map and so forth. We've, we've worked with them for many years now. They're a good partner. Fantastic. Well, you're one of my favorite guests. You know, I'm a big data nerd and love, you know, listening to your data and because you always have very relevant things to say. But thanks everyone for joining us today. Look forward to getting back together next Wednesday and five for breakfast uh, with our good friend and strategic partner, Mike Render of RVA Research, um, and he's going to be able to discuss his latest research that reveals fiber is preferred by nearly two-thirds of all internet users. Uh, you're not going to want to miss that. Um, also, 
hopefully we'll see you guys in Mexico or in uh, Minneapolis here soon. So thanks everyone. We'll see you guys again next Wednesday.